a little outside of Austin. We're in Austin proper, but we're at the border of what they call the hill country where you start having lots of wooded areas and hills. It's an epidemic here. Welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast with Tom Underwood. Armed with truth and knowledge, your journey to a healthy lifestyle can be obtained. Preventative wellness, quality nourishment, and daily fitness routines dramatically improve your outlook on life as a whole. And you'll find the support and info you need to accomplish a healthier lifestyle here. Together, we can empower each other along our journey to an amazing you. Welcome to episode number 136 with Dr. Tanisha Wards. Dr. Tanisha Wards is the founder of the Infinity Wellness Center in Austin, Texas, and the Energy Recovery System Online Functional Medicine Coaching Program. She is a holistic doctor who concentrates on chronic fatigue, GI issues, women's hormone issues from pre- and postmenopausal to infertility, fibromyalgia, headaches, burnout, and insomnia. She believes in the importance of treating the whole person, not just the symptoms. Thousands of women have found Dr. Wards after not seeing results from traditional practitioners, cookie-cutter programs, and expensive supplements. Her holistic approach to wellness means she specializes in finding and correcting the core root cause to conditions like chronic fatigue, chronic pain, and fibromyalgia. Drawing from her personal struggles with Lyme disease, autoimmunity, and Epstein-Barr virus is where she finds the fuel to pursue her passion, helping people heal near and far. Today's episode, we are going to discuss Lyme disease and chronic fatigue. I hope you enjoy this episode and make it a great day. Dr. Tanisha Wards, welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast. I am so grateful to have you today. We're going to talk about Lyme's chronic fatigue and a bit about what you can do when you find yourself in a situation where your doctor just doesn't know what's going on. Actually, I'm so happy you're here and grateful because you're a fellow Michigander. Yes, we just figured that out. I love it. Yep. Born and raised. Yep. I was born and raised and left just like you. Yep. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) I went somewhere where it doesn't snow too often. Exactly. (laughs) First of all, I want to start off with all of us have a little story rolling into that roll this into this health and wellness realm. Yes. And so what was your catalyst for the chiropractic acupuncture and rolling into this realm? Yeah. Like a lot of people that get into functional medicine, holistic medicine, long story short, Western medicine failed me. And it was around Lyme disease. The first time I was 15 years old and we just moved from Flint to just slightly the suburbs. And we had a large yard and we were clearing brush from an area, my mom, my brother and I, and I literally overnight woke up the next day, joint pain, fatigue, brain fog, I couldn't bend my joints. I literally, they were just stiff and I had to run them under hot water and they started to bend in the pain. The best way I could describe the pain was it felt like shards of glass, like scraping from the inside out in my joints. And then I had this weird, really weird bullseye rash. We didn't know what it was. Then my mom actually took a picture of it. This was 1990. 
four. She took a picture of it, still have an actual, you know, that's when you develop pictures, picture of it and called my doctor, my pediatrician. And he brought me in through the back door, like quarantine before quarantine was a household word. Um, kind of like the girl <laughs> in the bubble. We don't know what's wrong with you. Stay in this room, sent me to the hospital. And that just started a whole journey of incorrect diagnoses, lots and lots of medications that made things worse. They thought I had everything from MS ruled out MS. They thought I had lupus ruled out lupus. It's never lupus. If you've ever seen Dr. House <laughs> the television show, that's, they always go there first thought it was rheumatoid arthritis. Eventually said I have juvenile arthritis, depression, and here's an antidepressant. Here's Celexa. I was 15 years old being put on an arthritis med and steroids. Well, we know now, we know now it was Lyme disease and I'll talk about how we got there. We know now that steroids is an absolute wrong thing to give Lyme disease. And it's a, it's one of the first things that patients are prescribed because of the joint pain. And it actually, for lack of a better word, ticks off the bugs. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended that you get Lyme disease from a tick, but it makes them mad and irritated. And so it actually makes the person worse. So I gained a ton of weight, pain got worse, told my mom, like, this isn't working. I don't want to live. This is, I'm just feeling horrible, missing school, literally went from cheerleading and athletics to bedridden. And finally through her own research and multiple doctors saying blood work looks fine, she went to the library because there was no google.com then did her own research and went and found a support group at kind of an underground support group for Lyme disease. Cause there's a lot of politics around it in Michigan at the time. There still is in a lot of places right. and found a support group, went to a support group. They said, yes, that picture looks like Lyme. Here's a doctor that will help her. But you cannot call and say you think she has Lyme disease. You have to call and say she has chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia or one of those diagnoses, which I'd say 85, 90% of patients that walk in my clinic that have that diagnosis, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, one or the other or both, it's usually some sort of pathogen like Lyme disease. Often it's Lyme disease. So she did. She called and we met this doctor and he took a whole body holistic approach, started with things like candida cleanses and liver detoxes, and finally went for the, for, with antimicrobes, mostly herbal, lots of diet changes. I mean, I was 15, 16 years old going off refined sugar, eating fruits, vegetables, protein. I was a nineties kid. We, we ate out of a box mostly. So completely had to change my diet, my lifestyle and it took about a year and I, I completely recovered. Wow. Just from changing yeah. your diet changing diet, doing herbal support for okay. like liver detoxes, et cetera, herbs to kill microbes. Right. At this point, my thyroid was a mess. So adrenal support, thyroid support. I mean, there was a whole, it was a whole thing for sure. Just kind of going through the organ yeah. systems that, that needed help for sure. But a lot of it was definitely food changes and you can starve bugs to an extent by taking away sugar, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. They're a lot like cancer. Absolutely. Yes. There's a lot of controversy around this disease because most doctors just don't understand it. Even many doctors who consider themselves Lyme experts or Lyme literate medical doctors do not completely comprehend its complexity. I'm going to touch base on your book a little bit here today, too. So your book's title was What to Do When Your Doctor Gives Up, which is what happens in most of these cases. So are you ready to dive in, jump into the deep end of the pool here and go for a swim? I am. Let's All right, do it. let's go. <laughs> My first question to you is, do the doctors really give up 
Or do they just prescribe an RX and say, this is the best I can do? I've seen both. Okay. I've literally seen both. I've had patients come in on five, six, 10 different medications, and that's the best the doctor could do. Like, okay, you have pain, let's prescribe this. You're tired, let's do this. You're depressed because you're in pain and you're tired, let's do this. And now we have to negate all those symptoms with these meds. So I've definitely seen, I feel like, I don't know, it's a punt, right? It, it kind of is giving up. They don't know what else to do. That's the only tools they have, right. may have in their toolbox. And I've had patients come in and say, I've seen 10 doctors. And they've all told me I'm fine. That's another big one. Or I was working with my primary and then she sent me to an infectious disease doctor. They didn't find anything. And they basically said, I don't know what to do for you. So I've had patients say that their doctor literally said, I can't help you. I don't know. Yeah, this is a tricky little bugger, man. I've got a a brother-in-law with it. And I have a very dear friend with Lyme's. And it's just, it's a mystery. It definitely is. And they call it the great mimicker because it looks like all those things I mentioned earlier. Right. Like well, it looks yeah. like MS. fibromyalgia, right? What's the other one that people get diagnosed with? The chronic fatigue syndrome. Or mold. mold oh toxic. yeah. Mold. Yes. And actually we're seeing more and more of that. And I've had a handful of patients with Lyme disease and mold. Oh, we wow. think that they, so Lyme disease is tricky. They're what we call stealth pathogens. You can actually get bit by a tick and be infected with Lyme and the Lyme can lie dormant and it can lie dormant for a while sometimes. And then maybe you have some other health issue or another trigger. So I've seen where we think the person maybe has had Lyme for a long time because of the way the test comes back, the IgG antibodies, IgM. So we think this, okay, you didn't get this in the last six weeks. This has been here for a while. And we think mold triggered it to express because mold just made the immune system dip even further down. Right. And the bugs are like, all right, let's party. Time <laughs> time to come out. Time to attack. Yep. Yes. Let's talk about, first of all, Dr. Willie Borg- Bergdorfer. <laughs> Bergdorfer, Bergdorfer Berg- I, Bergdorfer Re. I've heard right. it both ways. Bergdorfer and his colleagues, Bergdorfer is actually the microbe that it's, it's actually named after him. Yes. Yeah. That is the actual bacterial name of Lyme disease. Right. It's an interesting story. Late seventies, early eighties, almost all the kids in Lyme, Connecticut got arthritis. Arthritis is what they were diagnosed with juvenile arthritis. And Dr. Bergdorferi or Bergdorferi went in and said, that's not possible. That's not how that works. This is something else. And he found and named the bug, but the disease has been named Lyme as after Lyme, Connecticut. That's where it originated first. That's where they found it. Yep, exactly. And so the actual microbe is named after the doctor that found it. So this little bugger, this little, (laughs) this little, it's like, it's shaped like a corkscrew, correct? When you look at it. spirochete-type bacteria, meaning, and this is important, that it can spiral into tissue. So that's why we call them stealth pathogens. They can spiral into and hide in ligaments, joint spaces. It likes to hang out in the cerebral spinal fluid, which then it can attack your whole body if it's in your spinal fluid. In the lymph, it kind of, it spirals into organs. So it actually physically corkscrews into things. And we call it a stealth pathogen for a couple reasons, because it can hide, which is why the traditional lab for it, the Western blot test, is really only about 65% accurate because these little suckers can get out of the blood. So sometimes we run a urine test on patients and then to get a positive, 
when I suspect that it's Lyme. And what we have them do is go get a lymphatic drainage massage before. So, and here's key. If they feel like they got hit by a truck the next day after the massage, I would bet a million bucks. It's going to be a positive test because we flushed these little guys. We stirred them up. We pushed them into the lymph, into the urine, and it's going to be positive. Most likely if they feel poor afterwards. And that's one way to kind of pull them out of their hiding spots and, and get a test of them. <laughs> so Interesting. Like, it's those. all this little game. It's like a boogeyman. <laughs> these little suckers. The other interesting thing and why they're considered a stealth pathogen is you're absolutely right. Under a microscope, they're a spirochete bacteria. However, they attack your central nervous system very much like a parasite attacks. It does not behave like a uh, a bacteria. It attacks like a parasite and it can lie dormant and hide like a virus. Like you can have Lyme flare-ups. Somebody can be good for two, three years they go through a divorce, they get another illness like COVID or whatever, the flu, they go through something stressful. It doesn't have to be a divorce. It could be a grad school. It could be the running, burning the candles at both ends. Anyway, anything that makes their immune system dip, they can come back out. Very similar to like a cold sore. People always talk about, I got sick. I got a cold sore. I got stressed. I got a cold sore. That's a viral activity. And this bacteria does that. Very peculiar. All right, let's be. Where do we start here? Because <laughs> you know, medical professionals think that Lyme is only in certain states. It's like, okay, this this, and I hate to tell people that this little tick doesn't just isn't natural to Connecticut or Michigan. This little tick is everywhere. I mean, it lives. At, there's deer in, in Texas. So Heck yeah, in our front yard, some days. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's like these. It's not just. It's not just. This little tick isn't state by state. It's not like it's not neutral to different states. It, it, yeah, it it's been everywhere. A, it's been a joke for years that you know that the ticks don't stop at the state line border. <laughs> they they're anywhere. So it, for years it was thought that's only in the East Coast, upstate New York, Connecticut. You can't get that here in Michigan. I mean you grew up there. Michigan is in extremely wooded. So lots and lots of opportunities for ticks. I mean, we took ticks off of us as a kid camping all the time. That wasn't an unusual thing. So then it became an East coast thing. And then it started popping up in California, Washington state. Then it became a West coast thing. And they thought, and there are different strains of the Borrelia. There's different types right, right. for different parts of the country they found. And, and then Michigan, now in Michigan, you heard my story of going to all these doctors, coming in through the back door, telling a fib at the front desk why we're there. Now in Michigan, a lot of patients get tested for Lyme at a walk-in clinic if they have fever and joint pain. Like it's not this unheard of thing. And what's interesting is when I moved to Texas in 2002, when I started practicing in 2006, I had no idea Texas was like Michigan almost 20 years ago. Hmm. When I moved here in the early 2000s in Texas, they're like, oh, there's no Lyme here in Texas. People don't have Lyme disease here in Texas. We don't see that. And I'm like, what? These patients are walking into my office with fibromyalgia. I've been running Lyme tests and they're coming back positive. What do you mean? And we're outside of just a little outside of Austin. We're in Austin proper, but we're at the border of what they call the hill country where you start having lots of wooded areas and hills. It's an epidemic here and it's not being really recognized yet. Still more and more, they're having rallies at the Capitol in May, which is Lyme disease awareness month, but it's still very hard to get a doctor to run a Lyme disease test here. And I have no idea why, except for money and politics and insurance companies and all the good stuff. Yeah, that's sad too. 
really I, sad. People are yeah. suffering unnecessarily. Talk right. about an epidemic. Yeah. I mean, sad because, I mean, insurance companies. <laughs> yeah, I, I are mean, we going there? Yeah, yeah we're not going gonna, there. No, we're not going to go there. <laughs> but let's start with, so what are some of the symptoms? I mean, chronic fatigue, we all know. But what are the other symptoms of Lyme's disease? To your point earlier, that it hides and com- it comes out when it feels like it, and then it goes back in and hides again. Mm-hmm. You know, because I know both of my brother-in-law and my friend, they'll feel great for like two or three months, and all of a sudden, it will flare up. And, and like my brother-in-law in Michigan, it, it happens like it's flaring up right now. My I talked to my sister, my niece, the other yesterday. I guess it's not my brother-in-law; it's my niece's husband. We'll call him my nephew-in-law. So she said it's flaring up because it's winter. It flares up in the winter for whatever reason. Lyme disease is a practitioner's nightmare because no two cases look the same, present the same, feel the same. I think personal experience, clinical experience, all the clinicians in my practice have had enough experience now that when we start hearing things and putting things together, I don't want to say it's a spidey sense, but I definitely can say, oh, that sure sounds like Lyme. We got to rule it out because not everybody has chronic fatigue. Most of them do. You could have brain fog. People have memory lapses. I've had patients that have seizures. Joint pain is a big one, but not always. Tinnitus, POTS, which is a postural issue. If they stand up, their heart rate goes up and they could pass out. Right. I've seen that. I've seen hormone imbalances. I've seen hair loss. Like it's all over the place and it could look like so many things. What's interesting about your nephew-in-law though, is I have some patients that cannot handle the heat and I have some patients that cannot handle the cold. And I don't know exactly why, but they're the Lyme, Lyme patients. For example, I have some patients that feel amazing going in these infrared saunas. They just feel really good. And they feel really good in the summer here in Texas. And then I have other patients who cannot handle that kind of heat. And somehow, some of them have to get out of here in the middle of August. And they feel amazing going in the cryo, the cold tanks. And then I have other Lyme patients, including myself. I tried the cryo and I felt bad. I felt like sick. And I don't know if if certain temperatures are stirring up the blood. It's thought that those infrared saunas could be killing Lyme and maybe they're having die off. I don't actually know, but I've had patients that have moved South because they do better in the heat. I've had patients that move more North in the country because they can't tolerate the heat with Lyme. No rhyme or reason. It's a practitioner's nightmare. I hate everything about it. (laughs) And at the same time, I'm also, I also respect and I'm fascinated by the brilliance of these bugs. It's, it's wild. I mean, like to your point earlier, when we were talking before the show, it's like, this is something that has intrigued me because I like, it's like a puzzle for me. Yeah. It's like, okay, where does this piece go? And why is it, why is it doing this? There's something here that making sense, not making sense. And I want to figure it out. We talked a bit, a little bit about symptoms, but I want to talk about we're in the 21st century. Why isn't there a Lyme test, a good Lyme test? <sighs> I mean, I think a lot. I think they, they certainly came out with a vaccine shot real quick, but they can't come out with a COVID test. Come on now. You mean or a Lyme test? A Lyme test, yeah. Lyme test. Yeah. So there's two right now that are not 100% accurate. Again, mind blowing that it's not super accurate, but they are 90 to 95% accurate. So it's gotten better over the years. The traditional Western blot, only 60 some percent accurate. Like it's a waste of time. Not totally. If it comes back positive, obviously don't need to do any more digging. If it comes back negative, we need to do more digging. If we think it's Lyme. I think a lot of it is the nature of the bug. 
and that, that it can hide. And one of the tests that we use is by a lab called DNA Connections, and that's the urine test. And they actually are testing for particles of the bug, mutations of the bugs, which is interesting because what they found is if you have it a really long time untreated, it can start to mutate in your body to survive longer. So a lot of the blood labs aren't testing for mutations, so it could get missed, right? It doesn't, you can't test it. And then we're doing a blood spot from a company called Vibrant America, and they're testing for particles of the bug. Nice. IgG antibodies and IgM. So they can also say you've had this long-term or this is your first exposure. So it's getting better. You're right. I don't know. It's crazy. <laughs> not enough money, not enough research, not right. enough acceptance that this is an epidemic. Well, that's, I mean, that's the thing is there's really not a lot of acceptance for this. And, you know, I'm going to don my tinfoil hat for a minute. Because <laughs> I'm with you. There's a book out called Bitten. Yes. By Chris Newby. It's the secret history of Lyme disease and biological warfare. And she, in this book, truly believes that this is a biological warfare that was developed during the Cold War as a bioweapon. So I have so I've not read that book. I am aware, aware of it. However, at least a decade ago, I read a book called Lab 251. Okay. Or is it 257? I think it's called Lab 251. That very much parallel uh, is parallel with this theory that in that book that there is a laboratory off the coast of Connecticut on an island called Plum Island that they are practicing chemical warfare out there, right? Like coming up with diseases to affect the human race. And they believe in this book that that Lyme disease they were testing it on animals. I don't know what they were going to call it or what they're going to do with it. I read it a long time ago, but essentially they believe ticks got into the lab, traveled into the mainland on deer, certain deer out there can swim in the ocean and birds. They came over to the mainland and Lyme, Connecticut is where most of them landed. <laughs> that is the theory behind that. And then it just spread like wildfire through the lands, literally since then. And at the same time, I've seen the Iceman that they found <laughs> from, I don't know, 2000 BC, where they found spirochae that were the same as Lyme on him or in his DNA. I don't know, because the spirochae are very similar to um, syphilis and some other spirochae bacteria. So I don't know that we can prove that's Lyme. They claim it was. I don't know. I, I can't confirm or deny that theory. What I can tell you is I've studied viruses, bacteria, my entire adult life, and this bacteria does not behave like a bacteria. It doesn't respond like a bacteria. Right. It doesn't attack your body like a bacteria. It is very peculiar, and it doesn't feel natural. Okay. That's all well, I most know. People, most people that have it are really sick of it. And like my one buddy here in Atlanta, he would, he would get tested by – he drove to Nashville to a doctor – you know, and the doctors, some of these guys are a little bit just weird. You know, yeah. like they put a rock in this hand and then do something, hold this tight with this hand and see what, you know, they're trying to test an equilibrium. Muscle testing and kinesiology, test, right. yes. Yep, we do a little bit of that too. I I say we combine science and nature. I like to see the labs of a number person. Right. But then when I have the labs, I have 20 different herbs that can kill Lyme. 
which one does your body like? And that's where if you're in person, we do a lot of telehealth, but if you're in person, sometimes we'll just do some of these testing on the testings on the body too. Now, some people are really out there and that's all they base everything on. And I think that they are going to miss things. And I think that it's not, they call it like energy medicine or, you know, applied kinesiology medicine. I think it's helpful. I think that we need other diagnostics too. Okay. And some of them are just a little woo woo, like right. really out there. So- <laughs> I mean, you had Lyme, so you decided to go down this path. But what are some of the what are some of the tools you use in your clinic to figure out if a person has Lyme or not? We definitely do a lot of functional medicine testing, okay. different tests. So I look for a lot of different microbes in labs that aren't traditional or mainstream or going to be covered by insurance, sadly. I also like the lab tests that you can get done at LabCorp for less than $60 called the CD57. And it's a protein. Mm. It's not FDA approved, but very few things will make it go low. HIV is one of them. Lyme disease is one of them. We found any major serious chronic illness. So I sometimes will run that as a pre-test. And if that's low, I'm thinking, okay, there's a chronic illness here. We need to dig deeper. So it's really just process of elimination. I think there's only been one patient where her Lyme test came back negative. We did all the right things, did the lymphatic drainage before. And I continued to go after the Lyme bug because I just, I knew in every cell of my body that she had Lyme disease, like everything made sense and she got well. So some of it, I I wouldn't say it's like, I'm not an intuitive, but there is a such thing. I think when you've been doing this long enough as medical intuition, like I just knew there was, it, it was Lyme, whether it's clinical experience whatever it is. Like I just knew, and we ruled out everything else. (laughs) Like she didn't have mold. She has had brain scans. It wasn't MS. She didn't even have Epstein-Barr virus. Like we kind of looked at it. I was like, there's nothing else. And I'm certain you have Lyme. And we went after it and she recovered. Now recovered is a tricky word in the Lyme world because we can't always eradicate the bug completely from the body. Oftentimes, if someone's had it longer than a year, two years, a decade, our goal is to get you, your immune system way up high here and and suppress the bugs, kind of like that cold sore I mentioned, like these bugs are going to stay dormant to the point where you could be in remission 10, 20, 30 years. And that takes a lot of work. And that may be where the person is. They have to coexist with the bug and just stay stronger than the bug. And sometimes that looks at, looks like every day, the rest of their life, they're on an antimicrobial herb to keep the bugs down and they have to eat well and lower their stress and don't feed the bugs with refined sugar. And, you know, if they're going through something stressful, pay very close attention to adrenal gland function, make sure your thyroid is it's all, the whole body is an orchestra and everything has to be working at the right time. So you stay stronger than the bugs. That's how I've been living my life since age 15. And I know this because I'm not taking any antimicrobial herbs now, thank goodness. But at 15, went through the process. Two years later, I was well. When I went to go get pregnant, close to 40, I'm an old mom. (laughs) (laughs) I sought out a Lyme doctor in the country in Seattle that worked a lot with fertility in Lyme because the year before I decided to get pregnant, I started, I know too much. I started doing all these detoxes, trying to get my body as clean as possible. Right. You don't want to have to, we're all exposed to toxins. Don't pass those to the baby. And something just told me, I know you can pass Lyme. You haven't had Lyme symptoms in almost two, two decades. 
I'm going to test anyway. And sure enough, I found particles of these bugs in my body still in my body still. So almost 20 years later, I still showed up positive. Now you're not going to get a false positive when you're doing these tests where you're actually looking for the microbe in your urine. You could get a false negative. That's what we've been talking about, but you're not going to get a false positive. And I was like, uh Oh, what am I going to do? Like, I don't want to pass this to the child, which is absolutely possible through utero. That's been proven. And so I started working with this fertility Lyme doctor and learned that might not be what he calls himself, but that's what he's helped a lot of women manage is not transmitting it to their child. And we were successful. Good. Yeah. I did have to take antibiotics, which sucked because the Lyme herb that I had been off and on for 20 years caused miscarriages. So I had to come off these herbs completely to get pregnant, which I knew was going to happen. I mean, I'd been on and off them for 20 years, which is, and I've been well, I would have looked you in the eye and said, I don't have Lyme anymore. I treated that 20 years ago. I'm fine. He said, you're going to have to come off those because they, they can cause miscarriages. We're going to have to do antibiotics for your pregnancy. And I was devastated because I knew what that looked like. I then had to clean my gut up afterwards and do all the things that antibiotics cause. Was it worth it? Yes. And I only had one. (laughs) Okay. How old is she or he now? She is six. Okay. All right. Yep. So it probably took me four years to recover from her pregnancy. Oh, from the antibiotics? I really do believe the antibiotics Hmm. really wrecked habit. So about a year after she was born, I started feeling sick again. And I thought, oh my gosh, I have Lyme. Like my Lyme is flared up. We, she's fine. Fortunately, she did not get Lyme disease, but yet now it's stirred up in me. I'm exhausted. She's a year old. I'm running a business. It wasn't. I actually started, I showed up um, Epstein-Barr virus. It wasn't Lyme. So it was, I think my gut was just wrecked. I was a good host right. for Epstein-Barr virus and, and started dealing with some autoimmune thyroid, Hashimoto's too. So I, I fortunately know how to fix all that, but it took a little <laughs> while as well. Well, Epstein-Barr virus is one of those that really never goes away. Which is why I have to live my life the way I live my life is drinking clean water, making sure I get good sleep, avoiding triggers like alcohol that can make your immune system dip because those two things are there and underlying. So I must've had mono at some point, but I was so sick in my teens. Like who knows, who knows if I had mono because mono, you have to have mono for it to later come back as Epstein-Barr virus, but it was not Lyme that made me sick the second time. Wow. Yeah. Cause that's one thing with Lyme. Even when you think you're safe, you're not. Yeah, it can definitely rear its head at any time that it finds. It's an opportunistic microbe. Anytime that it has an opportune, opportunist, anytime it has an opportunistic moment, it's going to attack you again. So can you eliminate Lyme 100% out of a person's body? We don't know that to be true. Okay. Most Lyme literate doctors is what they call them, believe that if you've had it for over a year, Chances are, no, you're going to have to, a year untreated, you're going to have to coexist with it. Like I mentioned, just make you stronger than it. You're not dealing with day-to-day symptoms. You're not having flares. I studied under somebody named Dr. Klinghart. Mm. He's out of Seattle and and he was in the, he was in the documentary under our skin, which is a great documentary, a little hard to watch if you're suffering from Lyme, just because it is some severe cases in there. He did a sequel or a follow-up of one of the characters in there that he saw, the one he saw, she was a roadie for the band U2. She ended up doing her own kind of documentary with him of, of she fully recovered and this is a happy ending, but the actual documentary is really tough to watch. So Dr. Klinghart believes six months. If you've had it six months untreated, you're probably going to be dealing with it long-term. That's And that's who I did a lot of training under. So 
nobody really knows. Again, I would have looked at you and said I eradicated it, and then I found it in my body. Right. It wasn't bothering uh, me or hurting me at the time, but it was there. But I, started, smart. I used to. <laughs> they are smart. They are smart. That little brilia, brilia. <laughs> yep. You know, and, and also, there's also like 20 known species of Borrelia. I didn't realize that until I started yes. studying, getting ready for this podcast. 20 known species of Borrelia. And then there's something called co-infections, that these are other bacteria that tack on when... The Borrelia? Yes. And one of them, a couple of them are parasites. So some of their names are Bartonella, Babesia, Ericlia. So... If you don't know what strains of Lyme and co-infections you have, it's also very hard to treat it properly. And that's something I think doctors don't understand. It's not a broad spectrum antibiotic treatment here. We have very specific herbs for the specific bugs that it's not a one, one dropper herb kills all. What kind of herbs are you using? So a couple different things. One of them is Cemento, um, cat's claw, banderol. These are different herbs that can kill them. I use another concoction called um, Biocidin that has a couple different garlic, things like that. However, that's not my, yeah, yeah. So that's not my starting point. If a a new patient comes in we find out that they have Lyme and we start pounding them with Biocidin, there's something called a Herxheimer reaction or die off. And most of the patients that come in can't handle that. And what happens is you stir up these bugs and you're not getting them out. So before we even get to the Lyme protocols, we've got to make sure that their gut's repaired. We've got to make sure that their liver's working, that their detox pathways are open, their lymphatic system's working. All of these things have to be working. Kidneys, urinary tract, all of it has to be, they have to be strong enough. Adrenal glands and thyroid for your energy, your mitochondria, ATP, like Wow. Typically I'll work with a patient six or seven months before we even address the line because we have to just get their body ready. Right. I, I, I say we almost have to get them armed for battle. We're going to build let's you up before we break you down. Cause I you're going to feel bad in the killing process. And let's be honest. I mean, most people walking around the face of the earth today aren't that healthy. No. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, they might come in with things like diabetes and other autoimmunity and other things that we have to clear up first. In fact, Lyme is the last thing. So if somebody has the fungus candida, we absolutely have to do that first. Or if they have a virus like EBV, we absolutely have to get that under control first before Lyme is literally the last step in a killing protocol. And then antibiotics, when you throw in antibiotics, it it wreaks havoc on the gut. So you have to, absolutely. once you do the antibiotics, you have to repair the gut. By the time they get to me, they've been on multiple rounds of antibiotics. And the problem with somebody with chronic Lyme on antibiotics, they feel pretty good on the antibiotics. As soon as they go off of it, they usually feel worse. Their back is square one plus some because now we're dealing with leaky gut syndrome. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it is. (laughs) It is. I mean, the last two years has showed us how disrupt everybody's immune system is. Oh, 100%. I mean, it's still happening, right? People are still dealing with post-COVID long-haul syndrome because I think that they had some underlying major your stuff before. And, and one thing I didn't mention, I don't do this in my practice. I do herbal treatments with Lyme and I try to go low and slow and, right. and really not put the person in bed, but there's some other treatments that can be a little harder or harsh and can kind of put people in bed. But once they get over the hump of kind of the Herx reaction, they do feel better quicker sometimes. And that's things like ozone therapy and that's, IV therapy. Right. That's These what I was going to ask you next. Effective. It's like, what are some, I mean, cause we, 
Now it's called biohacking. Right, right. But ozone therapy is very, very good, as is IV treatments. I love my IV treatments. I mean, I get one at least twice a month. I do too. I just get the vitamin infusions now, but for Lyme, there's a couple things people can do. They're doing peroxide IVs in some places. That's a little, you really want to make sure the doctor knows what they're doing and they're doing ozone in, in IVs. So they'll pull out a liter of blood, put oxygen in it. So it changes it from, uh, from yeah, 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 yeah. O2 to O3. And then your blood turns like bright neon orange when they, it looks like they're injecting nothing. It's a big syringe and it looks like it's air, but then you see the blood churn neon orange. And then they put the liter of blood back into your body, oftentimes through a UV light that's attached to the IV. So it's the microbes are being killed through this UV light and the ozone coursing through your blood will start killing bugs. Now, somebody's really severe. Sometimes the die-off is so bad that they're in bed for days after they get an IV treatment. But they pull out of it, and they often do really well. It's a harder, harsh treatment, I think, but I've seen it be very effective. They call it a 10-pass. You do 10 of those rounds. Wow. Of ozone. I I mean, like, ozone therapy is amazing. And and there's a lot of of biohacking or a lot of alternative methods for a lot of things. Like I, I love saunas and red light therapy and yes. And those are in the uh, cryotherapy tanks. I, I, those are my jam. And, but I think that we're in a, a whole new space these days. And it's unfortunate that we can't come up with a, a, a test for limes, but I'm sure it will happen soon someday. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, is anything ever really hundred percent though? Right. right. <laughs> we kind of talked about COVID testing earlier. Like we don't even know if all of those are a hundred percent. Yeah. Especially the but... ones you buy at the drugstore. I mean, come on. Right. Yeah. Now, I want to talk about like, what about PCR stool testing? Can you use that to find limes or is it, I have it's, a... it's a shot in the dark? Yeah. If the bug's hanging out in the GI tract right. and another way that this is more popular, probably in traditional Western medicine is for a long time. And some places still do this. They will test Lyme in a spinal tap. They'll pull out oh. cerebral spinal fluid and see if they can, and they'll look under a microscope and see if they see the spirochetes. Well, that's all well and good. If the bugs are hanging out in your spinal fluid, if they're not, it's going to be negative. And then you've been told you don't have it and you move on. So there's definitely different ways. I actually go to what they call a holistic biological dentist here in Austin. And they have a test where they kind of take some samples under your gum, just a little scrape. And they look at that as a live oh, wow. data. And they have found Lyme disease in people's mouths. They found mm. the spira keys. And so that's and the, been- Those little buggers are going to travel everywhere in your body. You won't even know it. Totally. And then there's some doctors that do live blood spotting where they actually take a piece of blood, look at it under a microscope. They can find parasites and hmm. fungus microbes and they, wow. they found spirochetes that way. So it's definitely, there's definitely different ways to find it, but again, finding it and tracking it is kind of the key. <laughs> so now what about diet? Is there any diet recommendations? I've heard, I think Dr. Ruscio recommends a low food yeah. map diet for Lyme disease. Yeah. We recommend something similar. It's, it's like an autoimmune paleo diet. Okay. Very similar. So we're taking out the inflammatory foods for multiple reasons. Sugar and some of these really high inflammatory foods are going to feed the bugs. That's what they like to live off. 
And also we're just trying to lower inflammation in your body because the lower the inflammation is, the better your body functions, the better it can fight. So yeah, absolutely. And, and the simplest way to kind of describe both of these diets is a lot of eating from the earth. If it's not pit grown or killed, if it's processed, don't eat it. Yeah, because those things aren't real food. Right. It's it's such a simple and such a tough concept. Well, I mean, if you think about it, if you just stayed away from manufactured food <laughs> and hydrogenated seed oils, we yeah. wouldn't be in the problem we'd have now. And that's hard to do. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I bought the other day, I bought some, I love my breakfast bars, you know, and good ones aren't cheap. Right. But I, so I bought this package. And it, it looked healthy. It was by healthy, the people that make my pancake mix, that's like yeah. gluten-free pancake mix. And so I bought a box and then I got home and I started reading the box and there's hydrogenated oil, there's seed oils in there. I'm like, what the heck? I mean, unfortunately in, in today's society, big food, you have to be careful what you're buying at the grocery store. Hello? And I will also tell you, I just had this conversation with our nutritionist on staff is that she made a really good point that a lot of these smaller, healthier bars, pancake mixes that seem more locally made are being acquired by big brand food companies. And guess what? They're putting the crap in them. So they're cheaper to make. Unfortunately, they're taking over and they're changing the recipes yeah. a little bit and they're not telling anybody. No, That's no, the big thing. No. You don't know that your favorite right. Brand is now owned by the Quaker. same people. Right. Yeah. Nabisco, whatever. Nabisco, right. right. We're, hopefully sad. we're not banned for saying yeah. that, but <laughs> if they come after us, it is what it is. <laughs> I'll go on the Joe Rogan list any day of the week. Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. In you fact, know, he about, moved here to Austin. Yeah, We've it, called him out a couple times. We're like, you, Hey, hey Joe, come on over. <laughs> We've tagged him in social media posts and stuff. He hasn't <laughs> called yet. So now I, I just picked your book up. Yeah. And I'm anxious to read it. This book was written by you about your experience with Epstein-Barr virus and many other trips to the doctor. God bless allopathic doctors. I, I, I like to bash on them, but they didn't know when they signed up to go to college to be a doctor that they were going to be not being a real doctor anymore. And we talked about this before the podcast. If I'm bleeding take me to the hospital. Let me, I want traditional Western right. medicine. Like I want emergency intervention. And at the same time, a lot of their continuing education is coming from the pharmaceutical companies. Right. So they're not looking and their nutrition hours and basic food pyramid stuff or their hours in college are like six, eight hours a semester. Right. If that if each that. semester, they're just not learning a lot of it. Sadly. I mean, even going to more holistic looking at even being not being a traditional medical doctor, even in chiropractic school and acupuncture training, I still learned a lot of this postgraduate taking right. courses from people like Dr. Klinghart. Like it's still not even being taught in the more holistic colleges to this extent. Unfortunately, what I do think is the population, the public is starting to demand better care. And that I think is forcing doctors out of traditional practice sometimes because they're realizing my hands are tied. I'm not helping these patients. And, and so I think that's our only hope <laughs> really. The sad part is insurance companies. I mean, I've talked, I've interviewed doctors on this podcast that even with a simple a hemoglobin A1C test to test for diabetes, first of all, in order to get it covered by insurance, you have to prove that they have high blood sugar, but glucose you can't just go by glucose because glucose can rise just by going to the doctor's office. 
it's a moving target. Yeah. I mean, if you have white coat syndrome or what, if you're scared of going to the doctor, it will raise your glucose. Yes. Yep. Yep. It's a stress response. Absolutely. Cause your body thinks it's going to have to fight or flight. So it's putting more sugar right. into the, yeah, totally. So in order for them to run an A1C, they have to first prove that they have high glucose, which is totally stupid. Yeah. So the insurance companies yeah. are a lot to blame. You know, yeah. You get stuck in this loop, right? You can't get the testing approved if you don't have the syndrome or the disease, but you right. don't know if you have the syndrome or, syndrome or disease if you don't have the testing. The test. It's a mess. If there's one legacy I could leave, big high level thinking here is changing what insurance companies decide they should cover based on health and wellness. Like they're covering the wrong stuff. They're oh, covering yeah. the stuff that's killing people. Right. And then they're fighting people on a $400 Lyme disease test saying you're not sick enough for it. Right. Or even a full thyroid panel right. to find out if you have autoimmunity. Oh, well, your one level TSH came back fine. So certainly nothing else can be wrong. That's absolutely absurd. And then all these things get missed. Exactly. And TSH, I, when you ask a doctor to run a freaking thyroid panel for on a female, and they run TSH. Come on now. That's not even telling us your thyroid function. No. It's your, that's telling us your pituitary function. Right. It's insane. It's, <laughs> it's backwards. If there's one thing, yeah, if we could just shift that paradigm and have them cover what helps people, it would be life-changing right. and saving for people. But exactly. I don't know if that's going to happen in my lifetime. I hope so, so. Back to your book real quick before we close yes. out. <laughs> Most people in America are stuck in that same rut. The doctor doesn't know what the doctor doesn't know what to do with me. I'm just going to take this medication, and the doctor's not talking to me about diet. He's not talking to me about, or if you ask a doctor about a little food map diet, he's going to freaking what is the hell is that? Most doctors would say that. Yep. What the hell is that? Because they don't understand what a low food map diet is. No. So what do we do? How do we, as a patient, say, okay, I'm not agreeing with you? How do I stand up and say I'm not? I don't agree with you. There, I have a couple tips on that. I learned this trick from my mom. If they deny you a test, say, okay, great. I'd like for you to chart in my chart that you have denied testing a full thyroid panel, even though I have fatigue. Mm. I want that charted. Watch them. Anybody. I mean, if somebody said that to me, my eyes would get big and say, okay, yeah, no, I'm not denying you a test. Whoa, whoa. Let's right. talk about this. And I also tell patients, I advise them or coach them to remember they work for you, whether your insurance company's paying them, you're in Canada and the government's paying them, you're paying them out of pocket. This is a service. And if they are not doing the service that you came in for, if they won't run the test, won't listen to you with your symptoms, find somebody else. But absolutely. If they say, no, 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 TSH is fine. Okay, great. I'd like for you to document in my chart you are refusing a full thyroid panel. I'm just using that as an example. And watch them run your thyroid panel. And here's the key though. They need to code it if you want it covered by insurance, which is why I don't take insurance because this is the hard part. They need to code it to try to get it covered and they're still right. probably gonna kick half of it back and right, you're gonna have to right. fight more. But that's a big one. Yeah. That's a big one. Getting them to just listen to you and run the tests that you need. One thing I've seen a couple uh, late recently is women coming in with... And the doctor says their their iron is low, but they yes. didn't run ferritin. Right, right. Like, so that they don't know if the iron is there because ferritin right. carries iron right. and it just needs to be released, which is usually, if you have high ferritin, low iron, it's oftentimes an inflammatory process from right. some type of microbe or is the ferritin low and they're not producing iron. 
Right. That's two different processes and two different solutions. And they don't have any of that data. You're absolutely no. right. Now she's reached, you know, she's like, can you give me a ferritin test? I'm like, sure. I can have, I can run it, for, but I can't bill your insurance. Yeah, you know? we don't either. It's so hard. Yes. You know, so yeah, it's sad we live in this state, but anyway, your book again is titled, we could go on this topic forever. This is a, <laughs> this is a, a tequila drinking story here. <laughs> we could kill off some microbes. <laughs> or wheatgrass shots, right. whatever comes first. <laughs> wheatgrass, okay, we'll do wheatgrass shots. What to do when your doctor gives up the secrets to find the problem, boost energy, and bring me back to health. The links to buy that book on Amazon will be in the show notes. Your links for the Austin Holistic Doctor and your Instagram account will be in the show notes. Is there any, anywhere else people can reach out to you? Nope, those are the places. Okay. Our website and then our handles are Infinity Wellness Atex. Atex is for Austin, Texas. Yep, okay. on all platforms. Now, one question I ask my interviewees, and it has nothing to do with the subject or medicine, but if you had 30 to 45 minutes to kill or chill, what album or artist would you put on to listen to? Prince. I think I'm going to go with Prince. (laughs) Tough one. And it all depends on the mood, right? But I feel like his music's so But you can go in any mood with Prince. Totally. I'm going to say Prince. Yeah. I may go do that after this. I've got about an hour and a half to to kill. I may put Prince on in the background. All right. Do some dancing. Rest in peace, Prince. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much for coming on. I wish you all the best. And I appreciate if you ever want to come back on, just reach out and say, hey, Tom, I want to come back on. We got to talk about this, something else. If something comes up with Lyme disease, that you just reach out to me and we'll do it. I'd love to. And hey, you keep fighting the good fight, too. We're going to make up. some headway. I'm not giving we're up. Gonna, we're not giving up. Nope. <laughs> Thank you for joining in today with the Rebel Health Coach, Tom Underwood. And be sure to subscribe to the show so you can catch all the episodes. With desire and commitment, you can implement a lifestyle of wellness and fitness. For the support, encouragement, and tools you need to be successful, visit TomUnderwood.net.